Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Asian Hustle Network's podcast. My name is Misa Chen. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Autopilot Reviews. And here today, we've got a a friend of mine from over 10 years, Brandon Lee. He's the founder of Zone of Genius, and he's going to help us find our guy today. Okay, cool. So, Brandon. Yes. (laughs) Brandon, you reinvented yourself five times, is it? Too many. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Yeah. I remember when we first met, you were working in real estate. So mm-hmm. I'd like to go a little bit into that story mm-hmm. of how many, all that journey of reinventing yourself. You know, I know you've had some failures along mm-hmm. the way. I love that, that story. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what were you first? What was your first reinvention? Uh, yeah, that's my first reinvention was I dropped out of college to work with the homeless. And we would visit soup kitchens, we visit hospitals and travel, um, work with a lot of churches. And we were basically teaching people to care for your neighbor, to care for people and not feel like you need permission to do that. And I did that full time. That was my first one. Mm. It was purely, it was purely charity. And and what got you, like kind of what made you want to transition out of that? After two and a half years of being broke, because that doesn't pay very well. And I was living in the Bay Area. That's not a good combo. And yeah, got tired of that and a lot of stress related with that. And I realized, uh, yeah, it'd be, it'd be nice to have money. And I also started realizing that a lot of the world's and society's problems, a lot of that can be traced back to people not having money or not having mm-hmm. financial literacy. And so, yeah, I wanted to understand money and investing and business and... I read somewhere that 70% of millionaires owned real estate. And when I was, when I was 22, I just made this blanket assumption. I'm like, oh, I guess I'm, I'm going to go into real estate. So, so <laughs> yeah. that kind of is what got you interested in transitioning mm-hmm. your career towards real estate. Yeah. What advice do you have for other people out there who maybe are in the same rut where they're not fully happy in their jobs? How did you get the courage mm-hmm. to go into this whole other industry? Ah, there's multiple layers uh one of them is i was frustrated enough with my current situation that's one two is i i have i had and have this very fierce level of growth mindset Mm -hmm. like at that time i was very confident i can learn anything and i can get good at anything i just have to care enough that was the main condition and have that perseverance to care yeah and i think like if someone asked me like, hey, do you want to be an investment banker? Like in my mind, I can say, yeah, I know I have the ability to do that, but do I care enough to do that? Mm. No, I do not. And I think that's, I think that is a really critical component of when people are frustrated and want to find a better path for themselves. Like they only, nine times out of 10, they only know what they don't want, mm. but they don't have much clear on what they do want. And so for me, I had to get to that point of like, I want to understand money and business. It's going to be real estate and I'm going to go. Like I had that amount of conviction. And so your second 
out of the five different mm -hmm. careers you've had so far, which they're from so many different backgrounds. Yeah. Second, I think when mm -hmm. we met 10 mm -hmm. years ago, you yeah. were in real estate. Yeah. And the way that I found out about Brandon was I was actually <laughs> looking into investing in real estate. So I went on Quora and you were just <laughs> dominating it in the real estate market on Quora. So yeah. I was like, oh man, I got to talk to this guy and get yeah. his advice. Yeah. And so you were in this stage when I met you around a decade ago into real estate. Mm -hmm. What happened there? Mm -hmm. Uh, wait, in what way? What do you mean what happened? You like how what? did it play so out? Obviously mm -hmm. you crushed it in some ways mm -hmm. in other ways. There were probably mm -hmm. some challenges there. Mm -hmm. Um, tell me a little more about this period of your life. Oh man. Uh, the first thing is the amount of culture shock. So I go from this very like generous, kind, humble, lovey dovey, like, ah, let's help people. Ah, warm and fuzzy kumbaya. I went from that <laughs> to flipping houses which is the like there's a lot of it's it's mostly men and it's mo like the culture there is after you spend the day doing deals you go and like get smashed drunk hard alcohol wow. and you go to clubs that's very different that's almost a full no like yeah night and day was it, was it so it was very shocking for you to go into this totally different culture i literally have a voice note of the first two meals that i had with my mentor just trying to wrap my mind around how crazy and different it was because I, you know, I went from being broke and like not being sure whether I could pay rent or not mm -hmm. to watching my mentor drop 500 bucks on lunch wow. for three people. Wow. And I was like, what? Yeah. And like they would get bottle service all the time. We'd go to clubs and like that was normal mm -hmm. for them. On that was basis. multiple times a week. Yeah. And so maybe <laughs> so, there were some things you liked about this new life, but obviously so, you changed your mm -hmm. three more careers after this. Yeah. So what made you want to change to transition to the, do you get burned out? Yeah. So, so the, again, like the main reason why I went in was I want to understand business and money. And that is what I learned. My mentor taught me all that. And the other layer of culture shock was just, just came with the territory. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I, I learned business. I learned how to do sales. I learned how to think through business strategy. And so I learned all the lessons and key lessons that I want to it's learn. It's like going to business school in a way. Though. Pretty much. Yeah. How many years did you do this? I flipped for like three and a half, four-ish years. Wow. Yeah. Great. And my mentor was self-taught and he basically taught me almost everything he knew. And this was in uh, the Bay Area, right? So mm -hmm. that's a very competitive market. Very competitive market. Very, very competitive market. Yeah, on paper, it makes no sense that I did something like that. College dropout, didn't have any background in finance, real estate, like it, it, wouldn't, it shouldn't have worked. So for others yeah. who are kind of want to get into new industry, how do you mm -hmm. get your foot in the door? One of the things I absolutely love about you mm -hmm. is you're able to create these connections and these opportunities mm -hmm. um, to live a really interesting, fascinating mm -hmm. life. Um, grit is one of the threads that mm -hmm. kind of is going to hold all these um, yeah. interviews I do together. Yeah. How did this part of your life build that grit and cultivate that grit? Um, yeah, I think we, we, I would have to zoom out and think about how we define grit mm -hmm. because I don't, I would have never thought that I had grit. Mm -hmm. If you had asked me during that, that time. yeah, if you asked okay. me during that time and asked, hey, Brandon, do you think you have grit? I'm like, I don't know. I wouldn't have been sure and I wouldn't have known why you would think I have grit.
because the drivers for me at the time was a conviction about how I want to live yeah. and, a, and a clarity around that. And I think that is what creates what people observe as grit. So when you ask the question around how, do I, how did I build grit, um, that, was, that goes all the way back to me thinking about my life has to have purpose. And that, was, that goes back into my high school years and me getting to the point of, I don't want to live a life where I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing. I ref- you want the why. Yeah, I refuse to do things just because everyone else seems to be doing it. And for me, when I, during the first year of college, that became the first real chance that I had to actually answer that question for myself. And that's what led to me to drop out, mm-hmm. was I felt like I found a why that was compelling enough for me to put my entire being into it. And I think that's not something that most people think about or talk about or have regular conversations about. And if you were, if you were to ask me, how did I build grit? I think I would trace it back to that. And I think that that's something that a lot of people today watching can mm-hmm. really identify with. It's easy as an entrepreneur to feel like you're a black sheep. I know I mm-hmm. felt like that in college. Oh yeah. I almost dropped out a couple times. My mm-hmm. grades were slipping and it was mm-hmm. hard to run a business at the same time. Yeah. You kind of feel like you're going against the grain. Totally. You know, um, totally. a lot of people are getting corporate, cushy corporate jobs, making tons of money. Yeah. Yep. Like, always Am I behind? Am I wrong? Am I, did I Am miss? I being weird yeah. going on this path? You know, I did a food truck and that was totally out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no manual on how to do that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what recommendation do you have for other entrepreneurs to reduce this uncertainty they have in this path they're going mm-hmm. on to build more confidence that they're going the right way. Mm-hmm. You know, you created, I love your story. I love the story that you had five totally different careers mm-hmm. as an entrepreneur. Yeah. How can we, how can you pave that path to be a stronger path, a mm-hmm. more confident path? I think maybe there's two layers. One is, one is having, I have this idea that there's like two general ways you make decisions. Like one is very external Mm -hmm. where you think about and are driven by external expectations, what your parents say, what your friends say, what you think society says, what social media is saying. And it's Mm -hmm. in learning to notice when you're making decisions from an external standpoint of a should, Mm -hmm. like, I feel like I should. And it's like, it almost pulls you, but for some reason internally, it actually doesn't necessarily resonate. And I think many people spend many years making decisions based off of that and not really learning how to tune in internally of, well, what is it that I want? And the first time I asked that question to myself, it was very scary because I didn't have an answer. Mm. And that, to me, that's just a journey of I don't know, decades of learning to ask, for your, ask into yourself, what is it that I want? How do I decide what do I want? What, is, what actually matters to me? What do I want to optimize for? And to answer your question around like, how do you develop more confidence around that path is, well, the more sure you are about what you want and the more tuned in you are to what you want and ignore the external shoulds and pressures, that's how conviction happens. That's because it's no longer about, am I measuring up to your arbitrary measuring stick of what my mom is saying, what all my friends are doing, everyone's having cushy jobs and starting to get married and get into relationships and I'm still single but what is it that I want right now? And learning to be honest with yourself, that is a practice that had, I've been asking myself ever since I dropped out of college. Mm. Like in that, so 
building confidence was a journey of continually asking that question and over time getting more and more confident of the voice that I have inside about what is resonant with me. And what helps with that is having other people in your life that also are on that journey. Ah, uh, so creating right. a support network yeah. of people who are on that similar, mm -hmm. you know, no one's on the exact path of you as an entrepreneur, but yeah. kind of are mm -hmm. also choosing to go against the grain. Yeah. That helped you a lot. Yeah, so being, having friends where I could have this conversation that we're having yeah. right now, which is- We both have taken very unusual paths. Yeah, like how do you be okay with your weirdness mm -hmm. and having a meta conversation about, about that gave me permission, like in my early times, that gave me permission to be like, it's okay that I'm weird uh, because we kind of affirm each other's weirdness and mm -hmm. permission, it's like a self-permissioning to continue to listen to the path that resonates with you. I love that. Yeah. Um, so let's go a little bit back. You mm -hmm. were in real estate. Mm -hmm. What next? What? Yeah, so basically I started getting bored in real estate after okay. about two and a half to three years. Uh, I felt like I had learned most of what my mentor wanted to teach me. And so I started itching and started looking. So that was actually the equivalent of me having a stable job. Like, because I just had enough thing. I was comfortable. You had great success there, but you yeah. were yearning to find mm -hmm. your icky guy more, which is mm -hmm. kind of this perfect passion where, yeah. where you make, um, you really follow this passion that you have. Yeah. What what next after that then? After this itch that you so had? I was yeah I was basically itching. I basically spent the next year to year and a half on this aggressive road to meet as many people as possible and meet try to find my tribe, try to find people that understood the essence of me. So the backdrop is I had spent three year two three years in nonprofit working with the homeless. So this is a very like charitable side of me, and then I spent two and a half, three years at that point in this very, very money optimized, ego prestige driven world. But I learned a lot of business. So there's these two worlds and I wanted to meet people who understood the, both of them. Mm -hmm. So what that led me to actually was the phrase social entrepreneurship. I didn't know the phrase even existed at the time. And I eventually came across social entrepreneurship as a, in some communities around that. And through that, that's how I met my co-founder. Once I started getting into these circles, I realized, oh, wow, there's other people who want to use business as a vehicle to help society and to do good. And I'm like, where are all these people? I need to find all these people. And that's basically what led me to the next thing. When I met my co-founder, he was telling me about this edu this high school that he wanted, this brand new high school uh, with totally new philosophies that he was building with his team. Mm -hmm. And he ended up wanting to turn it into like a after school program. And when he told me about it, something in me knew that there was something significant about what he was doing. I remember taking out my phone and recording a voice memo. Cause I'm like, I feel like this conversation is going to be important. And I, yeah, so I literally had, I still have that conversation and That's that, awesome. and that was him telling me the vision of this after school program. And by the end of that conversation, I told him I'm sold. I want to help you build this. And so you keep mentioning voice memos, which I think is fascinating. Is this something that helped you along the way? Can you tell me about that process a little bit? Because I'm just curious personally. Mm -hmm. I don't do that many voice memos, mm -hmm. but I'm dyslexic, so I feel like that could help me. Yeah. Can you go into that just for a second? That's less true now, but I think at the time it was me trying to document significant moments in my life. Mm if I knew that it was happening. I think what's more likely to happen now is I just pull out Evernote and just journal. Nice. 
So like I have a whole folder for, for just processing significant events in my life. That's great. And then That's also great small ones. Kind yeah. of keep tabs on, on where you're at with your career yeah. and, mm -hmm. and how you feel about everything. Yeah. Um, so you, you're in this learning space. Mm -hmm. You're starting this program. Mm -hmm. Obviously, mm -hmm. do you get the itch again to move somewhere else or what? Yeah, so this the education program was a little different. So when I met my co-founder, we ended up starting this after-school education program for teens. Mm -hmm. We're basically teaching them life skills and we wanted to teach them how to be more purposeful and like think big picture, create their own values. Um, so a very in line philosophically with all the things that we've already been talking about. We basically realized uh, after two years in, hey, running an education services business is very low margin. And because education, it's not, you, people don't go into education for the money, you know, starting services. Yeah, yeah. And services, you're basically tra trading time and labor for money. So it's not as scalable as, say, tech or building a product based company and whatnot. So two years in, we're running the education services company. Both my co founder and I are in long term relationships, and we're both thinking about starting families or sitting down with our respective partners. And we asked ourselves, is this company going to create a foundation for us financially? Yeah. Is it reliable yeah. income? And we were just being honest and looking at comparable examples. Like we looked at Kumon as an example. Mm -hmm. How long did it take Kumon to get big? Like, How long did it? I mean, it took, them, it took them like 10 years to open up, I think, a handful of locations. Wow. And we're like, oh, no. <laughs> and, more yeah, longer. yeah. And so, by that time, we were both kind of burned out too, or like it, we, we put a lot of energy into that project. And so the combination of the two was, oh, it's time to transition. And so we wound the company down. And then I basically took the next nine months to recalibrate and figure out, okay, what do I want to do next? So how did, okay, I want to go into that nine month period mm -hmm. because failure is basically an expected part of entrepreneurship. I yes. have a failure with Nam Nam You've had some failures. I've actually had multiple failures. Mm -hmm. I mostly yeah. talk about non-non truck, but mm -hmm. there's a lot of other failures I've had. Yeah. Um, as an entrepreneur, when you fall down, mm -hmm. what process do you use to kind of get back up and get going again and get mm -hmm. motivated again? And what made you still want to, like, how did you build that grit to keep mm -hmm. going, to keep diving into entrepreneurship? Is it just yeah. that you didn't have any other choice? For me, that's it. Yeah. I'm, I'm horrible at working for other people. So yeah. Kind of what so, was your process? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so if I were to be honest about that particular one, I don't know if I would characterize how I recovered from that as, as gritty as I would like it to be, mm -hmm. right? So when we shut that, down that the education company, at that point, I had been basically running founder-like life for 10 years. So basically from like all my, my early 20s and like we wound it down when I was like 20, 29, 30 uh -huh. or something. And when I ended up in my next spot, which was I worked at an HR tech startup and that was basically my first nine to five. Mm -hmm. And that was like around, just around when I turned 30. And the reason why I took a job was because I was tired. Yeah, you were tired of uh, mm -hmm. entrepreneurial hustle. I was tired of, as a founder, you're responsible for everything. You're responsible for the product, you're responsible for sales, you're responsible for marketing, you're responsible for like accounting, <laughs> like everything. So many different hats. Yeah, everything starts and stops with you. And I was like, I'm tired of thinking about all of it. I just want to, 
do a thing and then not worry whether it will have a direct impact on whether I can pay my bills or not. And so to me, getting a job was that way out. And to me, I, I, that was way more compelling to me at the time because I wanted a break. I wanted to just relax a little. I wanted to learn. I wanted to be around other people that were competent. I didn't want to be the smartest person in the room, like the, the head, the, the founder, so to speak. Um, I was ready for that. So in, in some ways, like, it could be said that, no, I, like, I, I put my hat up after that. After 10 years, I'm like, I'm ready to not were be. You just saying, were you just thinking, I'm never doing entrepreneurship again? Were you that burned out where you're like, okay, I'm just going to do a nine to five the rest of my life? Or you're like, mm -hmm. okay, this is just a break until mm -hmm. I figure out what I want to do next. At that time, the most clear thing was, I'm, I don't want to bootstrap anymore. <laughs> I think that was the most clear. It's brutal. Yeah. It's tough. Bootstrapping is a different game. So yeah. I think that was the most clear thing. Um, I don't think I got as far as to say, like, I never want to be a founder again. I think it was, I don't want to be a founder under these kinds of circumstances again. Yeah, you never want to go back down that path yeah. again. And so, but I didn't have plans. So like, I'm not going to go out and try to fundraise now. Like, I didn't care enough about no. that. And you also need yeah. to have an idea or exactly. you're passionate enough. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. fundraising is a whole other game as well. You have to really <laughs> believe in what you're doing. Yeah. And you really know what you're going to do to scale. So. Yeah. And you got more, we got way more stories on that than oh, I do. Yeah. That's a whole other story for you guys. Yeah. But, um, so you're That's episode this, 100. <laughs> uh, you're in this HR startup. Yeah. And what's that like? You're, you're one of the first employees. Yeah, right? I was employee number one. Okay. And I thought at the time that being employee number one would be too much. But literally, I, and I was doing everything, but simply the idea that it wasn't, it was a venture backed company and I wasn't the CEO and like nothing ultimately resided on my shoulders. It was like the best mental health oh, play. That's actually one of the best positions to be in because you get great stuff, but it's not all on your shoulders. Yeah. I uh -huh. have a lot of friends mm -hmm. actually who went from entrepreneurship to mm -hmm. working a nine to five and mm -hmm. it was so refreshing. They it was so refreshing. You don't. In the right you environment. You just give your 25% effort yeah. as you would to entrepreneurship yeah. and suddenly you're like the star of the yeah. show and doing amazing things. Yeah. So, it's just I, I would, so much yeah. easier. I would caveat with in the right environment. Because I think true. you it can. depends yeah. on the company culture. Yeah. That's you true. can be in a nine to five that absolutely doesn't give you that. That's true. But luckily, I, the, the place I, the company that I was working at was my friend were the two, my friends were the two co-founders. Oh, that's great. So that's it was great. a very, very ideal. Yeah. A very ideal situation. So yeah. what happened next in that? Mm -hmm. How many years were you there? And I was there for two years. And I basically wore a bunch of hats. And the nice thing about being employee number one is you have a lot of influence to shape literally anything. So it actually felt like being a founder, but without, without the <laughs> What a great next step. I think yeah. that's, lot, that's really good advice for a lot of entrepreneurs out there. Yeah. Maybe just mm -hmm. joining an early stage startup instead, yeah. less risk. Yeah. Pay was, great. I made more money than I had ever made than running oh, any of my stuff. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. nice. It was a nice change. I wrote about it like three months in. I wrote about how amazing I felt like the contrast was compared to what I had done. That's great. Um, so now I've been on the other side. And then, um, so what happened next was basically a year in, I started prototyping a side project that ended up becoming Zone of Genius. Oh, great. Yeah. So that's, so that's, that's how like we, a, yeah. That's a great transition because, mm -hmm. you know, you have this break, you help this other company, 
But in the meantime, it, you kind of were able to think about what you want to do next in your entrepreneurial oh, yeah. career. Mm -hmm. um, let's go a little bit more into Ikigai mm -hmm. and tell the audience mm -hmm. and share with them. What mm -hmm. is Ikigai? Can you dive a little bit sure. into that for those of them who don't know? So I'm by no means an expert, uh, but Ikigai is I believe, a Japanese word for a, a reason for being or the reason for being. Uh, and it's the intersection of what you're good at, what you enjoy, what the what you can get paid for, and what the world needs. And so the idea is that if you can find a way to show up in the world where all four of those come in play, that is, you have found your ikigai. Um, and so I, I'm sure there's a lot more nuances, but that's basically a graphic you can look up on the internet, and that kind of explains it. That's what ikigai is, as I understand it to be. And wait, what's the question after that? <laughs> The question was just, what is Ikigai? And I thought that mm -hmm. was a great definition. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I recently took your course mm -hmm. and I absolutely loved it. I was struggling with autopilot reviews in terms mm -hmm. of, I was passionate about it, but I didn't feel like I fully found my Ikigai. Mm -hmm. And after taking your course, mm -hmm. the most amazing thing is, is that since I run the company myself, I was able to position mm -hmm. myself now in a way where I feel like I have found my Ikigai. And mm -hmm. it's actually tremendously benefited mm -hmm. the company in terms of mm -hmm. growth and sales and marketing mm -hmm. because now I feel like I'm fully focused to my full potential. So that's amazing. I don't know if you've had that with other people <laughs> you've worked with, but I thought that that was so fascinating mm -hmm. that you don't necessarily need to switch jobs mm -hmm. to find your guy. Like maybe mm -hmm. you can slightly mold it around your passion and yeah. your, your love for certain things, or maybe you do need to switch careers. Yeah. I think the key is actually just having autonomy. Like, so you're in a position as the CEO, you, yes. you can dictate basically however you want to construct your time and energy, you have the freedom to do that. Mm -hmm. And I think for the vast majority of people, if they are at a nine to five, if they're in a managerial environment where they don't have a lot of freedom or their manager isn't open to these ideas, yes. then it's probably going to be really hard. And likely you'll have to start creating a sandbox to find your EKI probably in your free time where like... When you go home, you figure out ways to show up or environments to show up, things that you're doing that allow you to have that freedom to tinker with. Um, or yeah, maybe you find a more managerially friendly environment from a nine to five perspective. Yeah. Do you feel that, do most people who take your course, are they more looking for a career transition or is it more like me where they want to shape their environment a little more? More, yeah. The Ikigai, like, for the course? For the course, it's mostly people who are transitioning into careers. Okay. Yeah, but that's mostly because of our targeting, rather than like a like what it's useful for. I, I think most founders would really benefit from that conversation, assuming they have the resources and like energy and team to be able to craft that. Um, but yeah, I think it's applicable to everyone. But it's a long journey. Yeah. I think one of the most interesting things that I'm excited about you working on is you're now looking at a whole team of people mm -hmm. so like you're going to analyze my team of six people mm -hmm. and kind of fully look at their personalities their mm -hmm. strengths weaknesses, mm -hmm. what they love doing mm -hmm. so what would you call that is that kind of looking at the overall team's ikigai or oh that's interesting um yeah in some ways you could say that yeah team ikigai yeah sure i haven't thought about it through that phrasing but yeah that resonates Maybe if I were to describe it in its essence is 
the assessment that I'm building and that I built and help teams with now is it's a way to help people understand what is easeful and enjoyable to them. Mm. So there's all these. It doesn't even feel like work. Exactly. Right. It, and so the concept behind it is like if you enjoy it, you're going to internally want to do it. I don't have to force you. I don't have to ask you. I don't have to micromanage you. You do it because there's inherent compellingness in it. And so in, in other words, it's like free productivity in a very like functional way to say it, because it doesn't cost you energy, right? When you have to do recharged by it. Yeah. Or you just get something it's compelling to you about it. It's like the idea of doing taxes. I think for most people, it's just like a net, net negative <laughs> energy drain. I'm like, I dread it. I feel like I wasted time. I feel like it, I have to take a nap after I, I, I think anyone enjoys doing taxes. Right? No one can find their API in tax. <laughs> I would actually disagree though. Oh, really? Right? So that's the whole premise is that there are certain people that get joy out of yeah, certain tasks. Exist. Yeah, it's, accountants exist. And there's literally a segment of people that find it really satisfying to do really clear cut tasks that they can just check off the box. Mm like very granular, high, high attention to detail. There's a group of people like that, right? And so in the world of work, there's this whole spectrum of tasks and kinds of tasks. And there's certain kinds of tasks that are really compelling to some and like very repelling to others. And this as the assessments help teams better understand of like, well, this kind of task and this kind of work is really natural and useful to me and super painful for you. And if we're on the same team, then we can actually, well, why don't I take all the things that you don't like that I like, and then I can give you all the things that I don't like that you like. That's an amazing way to balance out a yeah. team. I love mm -hmm. that. So the whole purpose of the assessment is to easily visualize, oh, that's the, those are the things that my teammates enjoy and don't enjoy. And we can better work around that, better expectations set around that, have more appreciation for how different we are rather than like, well, Misa doesn't do this thing that I do all the time. So ugh, like, yeah. I, I don't like you for that. And then it changes that to, wow, Misa likes, loves doing this thing that I hate. And now I have a appreciation value for that. And it's creating that more, that kind of dynamic oh, on teams. I'm just so happy. Like, do you feel like you found your Ikigai now then through this process? Um, you're getting there. Yeah. Ah. Is that a hard question? It's, it, I mean, it's not, it's not like you're passionate every minute, but yeah. do you feel like this is the job that you mm -hmm. have that is getting you the closest to that feeling? Yeah, so I, I think zooming out a little as well, I think Ikigai for me is not dependent on a specific career. Is that for everyone or is that only for you? I think that's the case for me. Okay. Like, like I love deconstructing and analyzing and building frameworks and testing and experimenting. And I actually don't care what world I'm in. If I have the chance to do that, I'm in as my ego. As long as it can be yeah. in multiple different industries. You yeah. Can be in that. Yeah. Okay. So like, I think the, the autonomy that I have that allows me to deconstruct whatever I want that I think is more the ikigai, more than anything else. So it's less to do with zone of genius in terms of what I'm working on. It, it's less to do with whatever next company that I build. It's the me getting to sit in my brain and noodle on like, ooh, like how do I yeah, separate, create, yeah, deconstruct how things work, create buckets and categories for things and use that to help people. Amazing. Yeah. And one thing we didn't touch um, upon that I really want to go into is you know, you were talking about going against the grain, probably going against what 
a lot of your friends were doing mm -hmm. in college, yeah. dropping out of college. Mm -hmm. How did your parents take all this? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting idea. You know, most of the typical, I hate to say it, but most yeah. of the typical Asian yeah. American and Asian parents, yeah. they say, be a doctor, be a lawyer, yeah. make a lot of money. Yeah. Clearly you chose to take a much more unusual path. Yeah. <laughs> For others out there who kind of might not want to go the path their parents want, mm -hmm. how did you navigate that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> when I decided to drop out of college, I decided like November and then I, they were probably not very happy. I decided internally November and I, I didn't, I didn't tell my parents or like my mom until like early January. And by the time I had already, so you had already dropped out. Of that. I already done all the paperwork oh, to Jesus. drop out. So you're like, I am done. My parents are just gonna have to deal with this. So this, okay. So there's two things that happened. One of them was I told my mom that not that I was dropping out of college, is that I wanted to go back home and go back to community college and study so something you were else. Still doing community college or that's what I planning that, on it. Yes. Okay. I, I knew that I couldn't go cold turkey or okay, my mom so would, would flip. Be, it would ease her into yeah, yeah. it would never get a college yeah. degree. So that's actually what happened. I actually signed up for classes in community college back at home. I went to the first day of school and I said, I'm done. I don't, <laughs> and then I dropped out. Yeah. So that's one thing that happened. The other thing that happened is when I, even though I did, you know, not go cold turkey. Um, I when I told my mom that it ended up being I think a two week argument where we would talk on the phone and like my mom would just be yelling and be like, like why are you disrespecting me? Like we work so hard or like oh, like why are you trying to disappoint me? Like there's all these things that she said that she I remember. Feels, probably feels like she sacrificed so much for you. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think. How, do you have guilt at that point? Or were you just like, you know what? I want to be happy. I want to pursue this. So, and so that's why it goes back to the, one of the earlier points that I made around knowing, having clarity about what you want is, is what is almost like a rising tide that raises all the ships that on the outside, it looks like courage on the outside. It looks like grit, mm -hmm. but on the inside, it's just, this is the only decision. There's no other option. Yeah. Otherwise you'd be kind of like fully dying. Yeah, so I knew that I had found my thing and nothing's gonna stop me. Mm -hmm. Like, I have to even do this for me. Even your angry mom yelling at you. I didn't care. I didn't care. I didn't care in the sense that I, there's no way I'm gonna sacrifice this. I know it's gonna be painful. It's I'm gonna bear a lot of brutal conversations, but there's no way I'm gonna sacrifice this. I felt like I had found like the answer to life. Oh, that's like, that's so how funny. it felt. Well, finding your why it, is so important. Yeah. Right? Like, that's yeah. really. We spend so much of our day working. Yeah. If we can find our why through that. Oh yeah. I mean, it won't feel like work. That's what my dad always told me. Sure. Like, yeah. Please find your passion because mm -hmm. we spend so much time working and it won't mm -hmm. feel like work. If yes. Found yeah. And I, I like the sentiment that he's going with that. And like, I've, I heard the phrase of the years of like finding your passion, but like the vast majority of the time, I don't feel like when people say that they're also sharing the guidance of, this is how you find your passion. Or like these are like, what is the actual path or steps you can take to know whether you're getting closer to that or not? Yeah. And that's that's partially why I wanted to turn it into a course, right? Which is mm -hmm. the one you because at least it provides some guidance around getting clarity around that. Got it. And yeah. I just want to go back to your parents one sure, more time. Sure. Yeah. Did they ever finally say, you know, maybe when you went to the mm -hmm. HR startup, where they're like, 
Good job, Brandon. You've got a job despite not going to college. Was uh, there ever a pat on the back or is it more like Asian tiger parents never saying good So my, my parents were divorced by that time. I emailed my dad that I was going to drop out. And my dad said, this is very like, could be interpreted in multiple ways, but he said, you will reap the consequences. Oh. <laughs> it's very neutral. It wasn't aggressively. It was just one sentence? It was like two or three sentences. And that was the main sentence well, I read. Well, that probably really reassured you. At the, time, at the time, I'm like, oh, at least he's letting me go with it and oh, not fighting true. me on it. Yeah. But it's also kind of cryptic in like a, <laughs> in 10 years, I'm going to say I told you so kind of way. Um, that was how my dad responded. And then mom, yeah, not happy, very yelling. And so at the end of the day, it, after two weeks of arguing, I finally just told my mom, mom, I'm an adult. I'm going to do this. Mm -hmm. And that was it. Did you move That's... back in with her too? So I, yeah, so I moved back in with her for a month. And by, for that month, by the end of that month, I knew my first agenda was I need to move out. Because <laughs> I knew I, I wouldn't. Sure, a lot of people watching this have the same story. Yeah. It's intense. It was the worst financial decision too at the time. I had no job. I had no income. And my mom was letting me live there for free. So right. moving She's in with. you every day probably. Exactly. So moving moving away to live with a handful of friends without actual predictable ability to pay rent, shit decision on paper. Mm. But it was the correct move. But I think yeah. that as an entrepreneur, having that emotional stability and support is just yeah. as important, even if it might not kind of- Underrated comment, yes. Like we could hashtag that. Yeah. I think that's so like overlooked, absolutely. And I think my body knew that and that's why mm. it was so that's insistent. Weird. Like I just got to do so, it. So much yeah. But now you've moved a long way yeah. from, <laughs> you know what I'm going to say? You've moved a long way mm -hmm. from living with your mom. Mm -hmm. Now you are living it up in yes. a gigantic mansion in Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about that, where you're at now? You've yeah. built Zone of Genius. Yeah. From the outside to me, you are crushing it. Um, how do mm -hmm. you find these opportunities? Just as an entrepreneur, you're, you're just living mm -hmm. it up in Puerto Rico right now in this beautiful house. Yeah. So I have an, I have explanations, but I don't know how accurate they are, but this is my interpretation of what I think is happening. I think as a founder and as someone who's single and like ha is pretty low maintenance and very functional, I have a lot more lifestyle flexibility. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, I have more options available to me or because of my preferences. Um, and so I'm like, I can travel on a dime. I pack very light. I live, yeah, you're a nomad. yeah I, I'm a nomad and I can live out of a duffel and like not everyone has that level of tolerance, but that makes it easy to travel. That makes it easy for me to serendipitously go in certain directions, go to a random friend's workshop in a completely different state just for that workshop. Wow. Right. Amazing. And so having that freedom to say yes to things, and then I think is a very big factor. That's one. So it's like opening yourself to serendipity, I think, and putting yourself in situations where things can kind of unfold. That's one. I think two is, I think how I show up as a person actually has a lot to do with it. Like I, when I interact with humans, I'm nine times, 99 times out of 100, I'm just curious about people. 
And so I'm always just asking questions about how people are and like people like talking about themselves. This is like a how to win friends, influence people thing. So like I'm always asking questions. So people like it's very hard to well, this is my guess. It's very hard to not like me. I feel like because I'm you were in instantly likable after I met you. Yeah. Yeah, and like the whole how to win friends and influence people, there's that quote, right? Like, the way you be interesting is be interested. Mm. I remember that phrase and I'm like, okay, then with that, I'm just gonna be interested in everyone because I actually am because I think people are so fascinating and have stories. But that the reciprocal effect is that people think that I'm interesting, even though I'm not trying to. That's the weird thing. Well, I do find yeah. your life very interesting. That's the whole reason yeah. mm -hmm. it came about. To, you were mm -hmm. one of the first people I thought about. I have mm -hmm. to interview Brandon. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've had five such total. It's as if you combined five totally different lives into mm -hmm. only a 10, 15 yes. year period. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Some people have the same job their whole mm -hmm. lives. You're just yeah. the complete opposite. Yeah. So, to add, to, so I think the last third layer that I would add is that I don't need anything. Mm -hmm. And I think that's harder, easier said than done, and takes many people years to arrive to that place so like whenever i meet people i don't actually need anything from them or expect you're not anything trying to extract anything you're just yeah trying to connect. i'm trying to connect and learn mm -hmm. and so because of that as a tone so if i'm going to like i'm being serendipitous and putting myself in myself in new situations on a regular basis i'm open and curious and getting to know people and i'm there not to get anything from anyone this just creates a cycle where i'm I think people like me and they want to help me. Uh, they want to introduce me to other people because mm -hmm. I have a vibe that I guess is enjoyable to people. Like, and so because of these three things, like that really opens up random doors mm -hmm. for me. And then when you combine that with having being an entrepreneur and having high operational capability, like I can get things done, people just open up doors where it's like, hey, you should meet this one and you can tell them about your life experience or like you can help them with this or like yeah. he's just people will say like he's just a good person. He's a good guy. He's an interesting guy. Like so people want to share my being with other people because I'm well-intentioned. I'm helpful. I care. I'm curious. I think all those make it easy for random things to fall in my lap. Um, Amazing. Or, like, yeah. like being in a mansion mm -hmm. in the middle of yes. Puerto Rico. Yeah. And that was that was that happened because my friend wanted to invite me to Thanksgiving week to a mutual friend's place. And I was there for a week. I had I was not planning, I was not looking for this opportunity. It just so happened that someone brought up that like, yeah, I have this problem. I have this mansion. I don't really like cleaning it and maybe someone could host things. And then I'm like, "Oh, that's a good I, problem to have for you to solve." Yeah. And so when they were telling me about the problem, I'm like, "Oh, I I mean, I feel like I could do that. This seems like, tell me more. And then they told me more. I'm like, oh, I think I'm a good fit. <laughs> so it was very serendipitous. It was not, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you how I could re-engineer yeah. that. Mm -hmm. Other than I knew that, know that just continually showing up this way, things will show up. I'm not looking for these you're things. You're almost manifesting it. You're a great listener yeah. as well. Mm -hmm. you're, you're so good at focusing mm -hmm. on the conversation mm -hmm. and connecting with others. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, one could say it is like manifesting. <laughs> Yeah. I love that. Well, yeah. if people need to reach you, find mm -hmm. you, connect with you, what's the best way? The best way is you could probably add me on Facebook. And, uh, and you're a bachelor, right? I, I am. The ladies. Come yes, on, I am. Uh, I have this link tree that we could probably post in the comments that links to all the little projects that I'm working on, all, the, all my digital presence. Um, but yeah, that's probably the easiest way. Awesome. Yeah. 
Great. Well, thanks so much for being here today, Brandon. Yeah. It's an honor to connect with you. I know fun. that you probably answered so many of the audience's questions out there around both Ikigai as mm -hmm. well as just paving your path, a stronger, uh, more certain path as an mm -hmm. entrepreneur. So yeah. we're so thankful to have you here today. And uh, yeah. hopefully if people want to connect further, they mm -hmm. can reach out to you. Yeah. Thank you for the chance to share. <laughs> hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.